Hawaii's Office of Connected Care is working to bridge the digital divide so that all veterans can access VA care no matter where they are. VA understands that not all veterans have access to the internet or to internet-connected devices. The gap between those who do and those who do not is known as the digital divide. VA's Digital Divide Consult connects these veterans with programs and resources that provide the internet service or technology needed for VA telehealth visits. A veteran's care team can refer the veteran to a social worker who will assist them. To get started, visit the Bridging the Digital Divide webpage at telehealth.va.gov slash digital divide. Hello and welcome again to Oscar Mike Radio. I'm Travis, your host. Oscar Mike Radio is part of the Hoobazoo Network. You can find out more on hoobazoo.com. I want to thank my sponsors, Joyce Asak of Asak Real Estate, Mark Holmes, Army National Guard veteran of Reapers Detailing and Power Washing, and my supporters, Semper Savage Salad Dressing, Bottom Gun Coffee, and Quezon Shaving Company. And I am just having a great time. We haven't even started the show yet, and my guests are already like high energy, full, full throttle. This is great. I have, ladies and gentlemen, another set of law enforcement guests on Oscar Mike Radio. And yes, I'm a, I'm a military veteran show, but there's so much that is in common with us and law enforcement that um, I had to have them on. Paula Ann, thank you very much. I want to introduce, you know, the boys in blue from Arizona, Chris and Woody, who had, I got that right. Who have had a, who head up, brothers in healing. Welcome to Oscar Mike Radio. Hey, thanks so much for having us. It's a pleasure. It's an honor. Yeah, thanks to Paula for setting this up. Really appreciate you, hon. Uh, Chris, you know, uh, Chris is here. Uh, we started brothers in healing some uh, time ago. Um, we got tired of the stats about uh, first responders and military. That's something we haven't caused. That's the number one we're dying is by suicide. And that's what we're trying to prevent. We lose 22, approximately 22 vets per day due to suicide. And our first responders, including um, our, our uh, brothers and sisters in the fire department, they're actually uh, in the lead right now for suicides. Really? And uh, it's a sad, sad fact that we're trying to change. Now, now what are the numbers? Is it, is it similar to the military at 22 a day? Because it's a dangerous job, what you all do. But it's even more intense by the fact that a lot of law enforcement and first responders commit suicide. What are the actual numbers, if you have them, that you can share? I, I don't have them for this year because, or for last year, because they're still being tallied. And uh, okay, so before I spit a number out and then get, you know, uh, for lack of a, a better term, hung on that number, um, I know that uh, I think uh, two years ago, I think it was 400 and 63 but the problem i have to a lot of the problem is is the reporting of it you know so we have a lot of first responders who will overdose on on medication intentionally or alcohol and it gets labeled as an accidental death and that's not really the case of what's going on um but the numbers that are there you can go to bluelinehelp.org they keep track they try to keep track of all the true um reported suicides by our first responders and they're way up there uh it's very depressing to think about our first responders and military taking their own lives because they're hurting inside chris and i have been there we've both contemplating um going to the next level uh and committing suicide but we put ourselves through treatment through deer hollow treatment facility in utah they specialize in uh ptsd uh treatment and uh, thankfully we're here. And I, um, I also had a friend who, who took his own life and I had no clue he was even hurting and that's what we're trying to change. So let me ask you all this before I go back into your, your, your time as in, in law enforcement. One of the things that I've heard, you know, in the military, but more so as a, as a law enforcement first responder is if you go to your, your boss, for lack of a better term, or your supervisor and say, hey, I'm not right. Mm-hmm. It's my understanding that until very recently, or even now in certain, you know, precincts, if I'm getting that right, correct me if I'm wrong, that you're correct. That is a very, it's a career killer, for lack of a better term. Yeah. 
you're you're seen as broken you're pulled off your 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 beat your duty and you're put behind a desk and you're essentially made redundant even though you're serving is, is that right that, that's 100 percent right especially and the sad thing is especially men in the profession because you know you know when you're in law enforcement and the military you're supposed to be stoic you're supposed to be able to handle everything you, you everything put to you that's what you were trained to do and that's what you're supposed to do and so going through our careers you're absolutely right it's we had to put everything behind us if something happened you know we got we got used to seeing the same thing over and over every day and for me personally it got to the point where i was afraid to talk to anybody even my best friend here woody who we worked together for you we've known each other for 28 29 30 years and i i was afraid to tell him how how much hurting i was and because i didn't know if he would you know not go behind my back but you know say something to somebody else and then they go to my sergeant or somebody else and then they're like hey okay well guess what chris you're not well so you can't have a gun you can't be out there protecting our citizens we're taking your gun away we're taking your badge away um whatever happens after that when we get the report from the doctors because that's the other thing you know we don't we don't we didn't really trust our admin because it's so easy for them just to say you're not fit so move on we'll get somebody else new and we're really trying to break that stigma uh, and just, especially for admin out there, you know, hey, if you have somebody who's hurting, how about help them, make them feel assured themselves, let them get the help they need so they can come back healthy instead of the alternate. Well, you know, that's the thing, right? Because, you know, I was in the military and I sort of was not in combat, but, you know, we, we knew that we could go anytime, but let me ask you this. What's it like leaving your home? And if whether you take your patrol car home or, or not, or you're putting on that, you know, chest protector or not, what's it like stepping out the door realizing that, that you may not come home and have to carry that all day long, all, all the time, right? Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll speak real quick for me. It's, you know, Unfortunately, we get to a point where we don't think about that in your career. It's like, it's just your job. You get out and you leave. Now, of course, it does come up throughout every day when, when you're out there working. Um, I think the closest that I came to uh, is when I had my school shooting in Marysville, in 2014 in Marysville Pilchuck. And I was unable to get a hold of my wife and my family and friends. And I had like a, over 100 missed text messages and everything. And I think it was harder on them family and friends who knew I was at the high school and didn't know if I was if I was taken out by the shooter or not because no one could get a hold of me um so it goes both ways it, it does wear on us and it really does wear us down um but we're very good at putting up a shield you know we're very good at at, at, at faking it every day and just going about our lives um but when that when that that bottle or that that uh thing that fills up that we all have when it overflows, you know, especially for police and fire and, and military, it overflows bad, like a, like a storm. And I think that's what kind of happens to us too. Well, if I, if I could sure. uh, talk about sure. that a little bit. Um, so Chris and I both served on SWAT. Uh, I was on SWAT for 12 years. Chris did a number of years as well. And I remember, I remember when, when that uh, analogy that you just brought up really hit home for me. My kid, my two boys had, um, they were six and eight, and uh, I knew I had a, a high-risk search warrant the following day. So what I would do, I had a take-home card, just like you articulated. I'd get out my gear, go through it, make sure everything was right, that the plates were in the, Velcroed in, in the right area in case I got shot. Uh, I made sure my rifle was clean, ready to rock and roll. Everything was good to go. And my boys came out. And I had everything laid out in the garage and I was going through my, my little checklist that I did uh, on the routine. And uh, they're like, wow, dad, this is really cool. And this, that, and the other. And I was like, yeah, you guys want to try my SWAT gear on? Hey, you know, uh, dad, uh, why, why are you doing this? You know, is is my day off, but I had to go to work the next day and I had to get up at 3.30 in the morning or to do this raid kind of thing. And, and um, I, I show them, see, dad's well protected and here's my helmet and this that and the other and my oldest boy Caleb he looked at me and he said yeah well dad what if you get shot in the face there's nothing protecting your face and I gotta tell you uh <laughs> I'm very superstitious I don't I don't like any kind of like uh 
negative energy before a rain. I don't want, I don't want to hear any of that shit, you know? And so uh, I said, well, you know, dad's got a lot of training and experience, you know, I'll be okay. But that comment hit me because it made me realize that my family is very, very concerned about you right i can pretend like it doesn't bother me and i can pretend like when i put this vest on that uh you know it's going to protect me from everything and it's not it's just that's the reality it's not and um my uh, daughter uh every day she would check in with me to see if i was okay is everything she so she's actually my stepdaughter i adopted her she lost her bio dad uh he had he was uh, loading up his fishing boat had a heart attack so I came into her life at age nine. Well, she didn't want to go through another loss of losing a father figure, right? So she would check in with me all the time. And I, I asked her one day, why, why are you doing that? Why, why do you keep checking on me? Of course I'm fine. I've got all this training and experience. And it dawned on me, she's afraid. She's fearful that she could lose another father figure in her life. As, as my son Caleb was when he said, well, dad, you could get shot in the face. And I knew that. I just didn't dwell on it. And I think it's something that's there subconsciously that you don't really uh, think about every single day. And, and when you start to, uh, it really wears on you. And um, it did for me because uh, I became, uh, I didn't realize this at the time. And I'm going to say this for the other first responders in the military. The easiest thing to do is become, is become task-oriented task or become a workaholic. Help everybody else out with their problems because then you don't have to focus on you. And that's what I did. Uh, see, because I was this rescuer that would go in and help everybody else with their own problems, but I wasn't dealing with my own. And that was the PTSD seed that was sprouting and growing on its own. And that's the thing about PTSD. You don't have to water it. You just have to show up for work. It'll grow on its own. You know, the weeds grow on their own. You don't got to water them or fertilize them or, you know, do anything. They'll just grow on their own. That's exactly what PTSD does. It starts to sneak up on you. And you can pretend that you're tough and that it doesn't bother you and that, hey, I signed up for this job. You can tell yourself the same things that I, I always did. Hey, I signed up for it. This is part of the, all part of the fun and games. Uh, but eventually it starts to wear on you a little bit. And that's exactly what happened with Chris and I. So did, did you all grow up together? You, you said you knew each other for like 30 years. Did you all grow up and go to high school and college together? Or, or, or no. did you meet? Okay, so you met professionally. Yeah, so I met Chris through a mutual friend when I was in college. Uh, I was in the criminal justice program, uh, getting my criminal justice degree. And there was this um, friend that was also that I had that was also in that in that same program. He's like, "Hey, you got to meet a friend of mine." At the time, um, I was I had just gotten hired on, I think, right? And we we ended up working out together with this same friend in common. Uh, Chris worked for Pepsi or Coke at the yeah. time. I had just gotten hired on with a um, a local uh, police agency. Uh, and that's when I first met Chris. So we, we didn't know our friend was doing steroids. Chris and I were, we couldn't put on weight to save our lives. We weighed what, about <laughs> 55 at the time. Now we can put on weight, you know, we're over 40 now, but at the time we're sitting there doing the same workouts, but our friend is growing. <laughs> I mean, he's getting huge. And the workout consisted of uh, Chris and I just putting on, uh, you know, taking <laughs> plates off the bench press for him. We didn't know he was doing roids at the time. We, we weren't about to do that because we both wanted a career in law enforcement. So we weren't going to do that. And we, we, we love our, our, our health is important to us. So we weren't going to do that, but yeah, that's how we met. And so, uh, once, once we stopped kind of hanging out with him, you know, we kind of knew each other. And then, uh, Chris went from state patrol to, yeah, to, uh, one of the, one of the, yeah. one of the big things, how we met is that, so I became a state trooper not long after that. And, you know, we oh, all, right. we all have issues with our families and my family, uh, my sister and brother-in-law were involved in something very bad and uh, they had arrested them and my buddy Woody here uh, was the detective and who was handling it and uh, somehow I get a call and so I come into their department and I'm like dude what's going on now so you know we, we, we grounded together real early because of real family issues in the mm -hmm. criminal justice system not good not not always good but sometimes bad so I think that's why our bond is like so strong because you know he treated my family so respectfully back then when it was their issue and they were the ones in jail and it's like hey here's what happened and it's like no yeah i don't hold anything against you that's what you got to do so <laughs> ever since then <laughs> i forgot about that actually <laughs> this, is, this is great this is this is how it's been from i forgot you, know, you got some good dirt going on here now <laughs> oh shit let's dive into this one <laughs> no, but, but you know it's it's kind of like the military where you get with your crew you get with your squad your fire team 
and then over time you just gel i mean the only difference between you all and us is we we live you know eat breathe poop you know shower together i mean all the time but uh, well, if i asked you to put a list together of people that you're willing to go into combat with i know you could come up with a with 10 people maybe maybe five that you could totally count on well chris is right there on that list I mean, you know, you can, you know, when you can rely on somebody and right. that you trust somebody a hundred percent, that's, that's why our friendship has lasted this long because it's true. It's been, it's been tested. And I know for a fact, there's no question when you find someone like, like that in life, you don't let them go. Absolutely. Absolutely. So as you're going through your career, <laughs> you, you mentioned that you, you got very, very close, but one of you didn't know the other one was suffering. So what happened? When it be, when when it started to be like you know I can't hold this anymore I've got to get help how did all that unfold? Like really yeah, uh, really good question. I, I I like how you're prying and you're getting to the to the really good stuff. This is a really enjoyable interview because this is exactly what we need. Tell them how yeah. what, actually what happened. So it, it so I kind of hit on it already um, October twenty fourth twenty fourteen um, I had one of my freshman students um, stand up and execute four other of his classmates and then himself uh, right before I ran into the cafeteria because I, I had, they, I was getting this notification that there was a school shooting in my cafeteria, but I couldn't hear because um, thousands of kids are running throughout the campus and screaming and I could not hear my radio. And so no one would tell me what was going on until I get in there. And then, you know, when you, when you walk into the scene of freshmen, uh, uh, sorry, uh, it, it, it really hits you. And I thought I was totally strong and I did what I had to do. Um, and I, I thank God that I didn't have to put this student down. He took himself. Um, but then we started, I went home finally that night. And to me, I was like, yep, oh, I'm all good. I go, it was Friday. I go back to work on Monday or Tuesday. And it, it was Woody who showed up on Saturday or Sunday. I think Saturday he showed up at my doorstep and you know, when we do our presentations, you know, I like, I like him to tell what it was because I can't do it justice, but he's like, man, when I showed up, Chris, you were, you were just a white ghost. You didn't see me. You looked right through me. And because I was still trying to process in my brain, what, what had just gone on. And, and uh, he's like, so how are you doing? I'm like, oh, I, I think I'm doing great. And you know, I'll see you at work on Monday or Tuesday. He goes, the hell you will. He goes, you're not going back to work. Um, and I'm like, no, no, I got to go back to work. And he says, he goes, no, I'm, I'm telling you, you're not going to work. You're going to take you're taking this, this time off to, to at least heal yourself. Luckily for me, the school took the whole week off, you know, to mourn because I mean, I'll be damned if, if, if this, if the students were going to be back in school that day, that you would have to shoot, you would have to kill me to keep me from going to that school. Cause if these students can go back to school, I, I was damn sure going to be at that school to help protect as much as I could. But it was at that moment that I realized, you know what, Chris, you're, you're not, you're not Superman. You're not God. You're not, you know, not that I ever thought I was, but you know, we have to put on this protective armor that that's how strong we are. And, and it made me sit back and realize that, yeah, okay, we are human and we do need help. And this is not normal. No human being should ever have to go through this. And I think for me, that was where my journey started. Cause that's where my, that's where my pot overboiled and overflowed and everything. And it took me a little bit longer to finally seek help because I still thought I was, I was that strong and I was willing to do it. Um, but, you know, when you're at school crying in front of students, when you're at school, you know, breaking down with students who are having issues and you're going home and your, your relationship's not going right and you're out, you know, Woody and I can, we can throw a party, uh, him and I, but we can, we can mask everything and, and have, we can be the, the, the center of a party. Um, but it took a little while, but it was Woody who actually got me on my journey to where I think I finally went and sought and, and got help. You both mentioned though that you had to get help at certain points in your career. So, you know, what's your story? What, what's, I've, I've heard, you know, how does that work? Uh, my story, you, you, you want to, okay. So, so uh, I, I, I'll, I'll bring you back to, um, since we're taking our time here, which I really appreciate, I love this because uh, I remember before I even started my career in law enforcement, I had to do an internship with uh, this uh, city of Everett, which borders the agency that I work for. And these old veterans, I, I worked in the special investigations unit 
And they said, uh, listen, young man, you know, you're 22 years old. You're about ready to start your career. I just, I'd gotten my acceptance letter. Hey, you're going to be a police officer here. We just want to give you a final word of advice. And I'll never forget uh, these old salty veterans sitting around. And they said, hey, Woody, we just want to let you know law enforcement will change you. It's going to, it's going to forever change you. And I remember thinking I'm Irish Norwegian. I'm stubborn as can be. You're, nothing's going to change me. You don't know what the F you're talking about, you know, kind of thing. And I look at these guys and I'm, 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 what do they know? Yeah. What are they- I'm going to be real with you. The, the, the ego kicked in and the arrogance that I had at the time, you know, I thought I knew everything. And I was like, there's no way I didn't drink coffee at the time. I didn't drink any energy drinks at the time. I just, you know, I would, I would make sure I had my gallon of water and, you know, stay true to that. Well, they said, you're going to, a couple things, you're going to be addicted to caffeine. You're going to be addicted to night shift for a while and law enforcement will change you. You're going to become a little cynical. And I was like, there's no way, you know, there's no way. And uh, they were hundred percent correct. And um, how it started for me was basically um, seeing trauma over and over again. And then in my, uh, I, I don't know, it was year five or seven when I joined our TAC team at the time, we weren't a full SWAT team. We ended up getting a call on a, a guy who was uh, armed with a SKS rifle. He had taken his uh, girlfriend or fiance hostage and he was going to do basically a uh, murder suicide with her. And he did, he popped a bunch of pills. It was uh, right across the street from a, uh, um, a middle school. The school was in lockdown and uh, the cops, you know, they tried to, uh, negotiate with him the best they could and we couldn't get anything uh, to work out and uh, they put a team together and we tried to negotiate with him and um, basically what ended up happening is he came out after scouting our positions he had his rifle to his uh, own face underneath his chin like this and he came out and he uh, scouted out all of our positions where we were at on the tack team and the third he did this uh, twice he came out like that twice and the third time he came out shooting and he knew exactly where I was and uh, thankfully, I was quick on the trigger, and um, I, I was able to isolate the threat, stop the threat. It didn't feel good taking someone else's life. I'm thankful to be here, but I will never forget what that sounded like having that SKS ri- rifle go off and around uh, go over my head there. And um, the images that I saw, you just can't undo. And, and um, uh, you know, I, I went, the media, of course, was uh, wanting to get an interview with me. I, the news helicopters are flying over. I was off work for three or four months. There was a lack of communication. Nobody knew quite what to do with me. We hadn't had a shooting in our department since 1960, I believe, mm-hmm. where, where an officer was killed on a DV-related uh, call, but nothing, nothing in, like this before. And, um, uh, you know, basically the way we treated it was, uh, you know, I was, I was raised by some of the left, left one guys, you know, that were hanging on there. I was old school. I was raised old school. You get right back on the horse. I was like, Chris, I wanted to get back to work. That's what we were conditioned to do, right? You signed up for this. You get back on the horse. Uh, go do your job. Don't bitch or complain. And get back out there and do what you signed up to do. Well, you know, uh, there, was a, there was a half gallon of whiskey put on my windshield of my personal vehicle. I don't know, to this day, I don't know who sent it there. I did drink it, uh, but the <laughs> note said, uh, it said, uh, glad you're okay, hurry back to work. And that's the way we dealt with things, you know, on the force. There was no meet with a psychologist. I mean, I'm not, I'm not gonna lie to you. The thought of meeting with a psychologist and, and uh, deal with all the psychobabble and talk about your inner, inner wounded child, I was like, <laughs> It, it, it was it was a joke i thought it was i thought it was a joke anyway uh i now see the importance and i see the wisdom in doing in doing that and i and i now see how um you know important that really is okay so now now we're going to fast forward a little bit i'm off work the same year i come back to i come back uh, you know i was cleared of the shooting justifiable i'm back to work now i'm in a fight for my life the suspect has beaten up his mom. He beat up two sheriff's deputies and the sheriff's deputies called for help. And I happened to be at the time a mile and a half down the road. And I responded to this call and I'll never forget walking in the door and seeing this adult male who was a violent offender who we had arrested numerous times, dressed in women's underwear. His nails were painted. He had pepper spray all over his face, blood dripping off of his face. I saw the two deputies exhausted, 
trying to gasp for air because the whole room apartment, it's an apartment filled with pepper spray. They had nothing left. They had no fight left in them. They gave everything they had and they still couldn't subdue him. And he was ready to fight. And I'll never forget. I gave him a, this groin stomp because he had kicked, he kicked me in the, in the uh, groin as well. And he looked at me and he growled in this demonic voice. And I just thought, what in the world am I going to do to this guy? I just started jujitsu, thank, thankfully. So I, I had some training and experience of uh, ground fighting, and it, re it really did pay off. Anyway, I fought with this guy, and I, I, uh, I ended up uh, feeling him grab for my gun. And I remember in the academy, they told me, if your gun gets removed by a suspect, there's an 85% chance you will die. And I remember feeling that all my jujitsu moves and all my wrist locks and all other BS that they teach you at the academy isn't working. I, I don't know what else to do here. And now he's grabbing for my gun. You know, my thought was maybe I'm going to have to give him my gun, you know, one round at a time. And his mom, who he beat up, is in her nightgown and she's watching this entire fight take place. And the, the empathy and the, the sympathy that I had for her while I'm fighting with her son, I'll never forget. Although he's a suspect, I never want to watch. I want. I know. I would never want a mom to to watch her son pass away in front of her like that. And um, well, you're you're, you're essentially fighting for your life at this point. This is not an exaggeration. Like if you don't stop this guy, he's going to hurt you. Your your the two previous 100%. officers are just. And I get it that you guys got nothing left. This guy's not Travis, going down. Travis, I watched those deputies try to get back in the fight, and I watched them punch. They were so exhausted. They had no force left in their punch. It had no effect on this guy. We didn't know it at the time, but he had, he had uh, ingested cocaine, meth, and heroin all at once. And that's why he felt no pain. And I wasn't certified in the rear naked choke in Washington state where we're from. Our governor has since taken that away from us. It's the biggest mistake he could have made. It's one of the best, the blood choke, uh, the Gracie's do it. Judo people do it. Hundreds of kids show up for jujitsu class and they do it. That's since been taken away from us. Had I been certified in that, I could have taken his back because I had it numerous times. I just wasn't certified in the choke. At that time, it was considered quote unquote lethal force. Um, I was on this line of how far do I take this thing and what uh, unbeknownst to me his heart ended up exploding I didn't know that at the time but I had my hands on him when he took his last breath and his mom watched him take his last breath and um, I remember that feeling of his energy leaving his body and that to this day will never leave me uh, it didn't feel good I, I know he was a, a bad guy and I, I agree 100% with everything you have said I also worked undercover narcs and I've seen people under the uh, heavily addicted to narcotics turn their life around. And five years from now, they're this great person. They have a family now. And they, that's my hope. I'm, I'm very empathetic towards people who are down the wrong path, but can change their life around. And uh, I thought we were just going to be trading blows. You know, I'm Irish Norwegian. I, I'm not uh, I'm not against having a good knockdown drag out fight. Uh, I was scared. Uh, I didn't want him to die, and and um, I did have a. Uh, so now, so now I want you to think about this. I just went through the shooting three months ago, three four months ago. I'm back to work a month, and now I've just taken another person's life, and I'm off work again. Well, I was forced to see a psychologist, uh, uh, except this time, it was more like checking the box. Uh, I saw one. It was a uh, fit for duty or return to duty. Quick little 45 minute interview with the psychologist. Nothing big. Just they just want to you know say hey, are you okay to go get back to work? And of course I'm going to say yes because. Uh, I was too afraid at that time of how I would look towards other people. I didn't want to feel weak inside. And I want to let you know, I was raised, I was raised in a family that said, well, what are you crying about? I'll give you something to cry about. We don't, we didn't talk about our emotions, right? You work through them, right? My grandfather fought in World War II and he was a very instrumental um, father figure in my life. And he was tough as nails. And there was no sitting down and whining and complaining about this, that, and the other. And my father the same way. So that's what I did. I sucked it up. I didn't go seek help. I met with a psychologist because I was forced to. Well, the other officers who responded to the call, they all put us in the same room together. <laughs> Big no-no, because how do you, you want to open up and be transparent uh, in front of your own coworkers? You know, you're, you're putting on that fake mask like, oh, I'm okay. I'm totally fine. You know, kind of thing. Everybody played that role. And we're good. Law enforcement, military, we're good at playing that role. I'm okay. I'm fine. Uh, 
because that is actually a protector that we have inside that stands up because there's a job to do and you got to do it. And you don't want to be taken off your mission until you're ready, right? Because you want to be in control of that. And so that's what goes on with law enforcement and first responders and military, in my, in my opinion, is that's your way of trying to stay in control. Your protector will show up and say, you're totally fine. You got to work through it. You signed up for this. PTSD is for Vietnam veterans who have seen multiple tours. It's not for you. It's not for you people. It's not for firefighters or paramedics or police officers. You know, we're not out there in the jungle, in the jungles of Vietnam and napalm everywhere and mustard gas and this, that, and the other, you know, that's what you tell yourself. It's a lie. You tell yourself this lie though. Well, let me, let me, let me ask you this way before we go into, you know, how you all got help, real help. It seems to me that from both your stories, there's these moments in time you know, situations that, that were PTSD causing your catalyst, if you will, but also you both have alluded to that in, in your careers, there's been things gradually building up as time has gone on. Mm-hmm. The, the daily, you know, seeing humanity at its absolute lowest really pushes you to a different place. And it's hard to, to, to get out of that, that, that rut. Is that an aspect too, that you all deal with? I, I think that's the ultimate. I think, mm-hmm. I think you know, our, our, my school shooting was the event that I think pushed me over the edge, which I think would push anyone over the edge. But I want you to, I want you to think of 20 years um, for me, 22 for Woody as a police officer. There's not a day that goes by that you're not, every time we get called, it's that person's worst day of their life, basically. There's, there's you know, they don't call 911 because they want to see Chris and Woody come up in uniform or they want to see the police officers just show up you know so we we deal with these and then you have you have all the the deaths you know the 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 simple car crashes where you know kids die um and, and you'll hear a phone ringing and you'll look at it on the floor and it'll, it'll say mom and you know you can't answer that because you're investigating this death um our suicides you know i, I mean hangings really got me I, I don't know why but they really got me for suicides and you know when you have these and some i had one where he had a, a, a note he, he taped a note to his chest explaining why he did this in his garage um you know and and i think it's just these things compiled day after day mm-hmm. even if no one's dying you go to these domestic violences and mm-hmm. you're arresting the, the usually usually the male it's not always the male but usually the male and half the time you're, you're arresting this male and now now the female the girlfriend wife whatever is now trying to fight us because well that's the breadwinner and so now you start now you're like okay why am i arresting this guy he just beat the shit out of that person but now she or he is protecting their partner and just all these things that happen yeah. every day and you hear about the stories and you hear about the 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 rapes when they come in and mm. the assaults and the, mm. the robberies. And, you know, mm. those are the things that I think really take our toll. And I know, and I know, you know, Woody, he, he does a good job, you know, when he was a detective and he explains the stuff, but, you know, when you go to a child death, you know, we, we, we always were like, okay, well, if it's an adult and they died in the back of my mind, I'd be like, you know what? Hey, they lived a decent life. They, they, they're adults, whatever. But when a child would pass, you know, and those, happen more often than people know um and, and when you have these kind of things happen day after day it it literally it i mean it, it wears on you i mean it's like it's like you're a punching bag and you're just getting punched every day all day long for your 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 career well when you're wearing those set of lenses and you're going out every day and you're experiencing true evil true evil meaning like uh a young kid who's a rape victim repeatedly by a bio dad or a stepdad or a, or someone that they know and they've been manipulated and you know for a fact as a detective there's there's no evidence because they're reporting this the victim's reporting it six years later and now you have this burden on you to do this great interview and try to get a confession because that's all the case hangs on and you don't get that confession that shit wears on you because you second guess yourself because i i remember there was one case that I couldn't get a confession on and I had no evidence. I believed her to a T, no doubt in my mind this person did it and I couldn't, couldn't get a confession and they got away with it. And what message did that send to that little girl? I, I finally asked for help. I had the courage to come forward, but nothing was done. And I, I, I looked at her and her mom in the eye and 
So this justice is was not served. Justice so was not served. When you face evil day day in and day out, that's going to wear on you as a police there, officer. There's a cost. That's it. There's, huh? a co there's a cost for what oh. you all do. Yeah, and you, th you think you can lay your, your, your head and, uh, on, on your pillow at night and go to sleep even when you gave 100% effort? No, you can't. No, you can't. Stop telling yourself that lie. You're going to fail. You just have to accept that you can't win every single battle. And that was the biggest thing for me is I played to win, especially for, for the victims. That's why I became a police officer. I was very, very passionate about uh, suppressing evil the best I could and finding justice for these victims. And when you can't do that because of the loopholes in the system or just because there isn't enough evidence, it sucks. And that is not easy to go to get over. That's something that they didn't talk about in the academy. And that's something that you just you have to deal with. And I think about my brothers and sisters out there giving the, the best, doing the best that they can and just not getting the results that they want sometimes. And it just sucks. It sucks. This all builds up. Oh, 100%. Talking about it right now, I'm so pissed right now. If I could find that guy right now, I'm not a police officer anymore. I'd probably lose my retirement, though. But, yeah, I mean, he's guilty. I know he's guilty. I could tell. I just couldn't get the what the courts needed. It has to be a preponderance of an evidence. I was almost there, and I just couldn't, I couldn't get it. And it haunts me to this day. I got to let it go. But I think about this little girl often, and I, I just think about how that – how that um, you know repeated violence and evil has changed her life forever it's it's sick so when you deal with society and your set of lenses is dealing with evil on a non-stop basis that's going to wear on you it really is even if you if you're okay even if even if you haven't been shot at or your life hasn't been in danger per se even though it most likely has but you you brush it off i mean dealing with evil over and over again it's going to impact you we'll get into why i think justice is blind you know the the scales are she's blind for a reason right but you take all this on and there's a cost exacted from you every day these events happen to you, your career happens to you and you both said you got to a point where you needed help now now one thing i just want to clear did you guys go through the same program together get help at the same time or did you get help individually so you know it's not funny but our our story i mean it, it this just shows you how powerful being uh afraid to tell somebody that you need help is because like yeah. like we said we've known each other for 29 30 years we worked together on the same crew they took us off a of cruise because we worked so well together and they're like well you guys are both leaders so they 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 split us up through our career to different <laughs> crews he knows so yeah <laughs> so, you get it we were <laughs> We, we, when we when yeah. we work in the schools, I was at my high school. He was at the other high school. So we we've mirrored each other so much, and and it just gets to the point where you know they would take us apart just because we worked so well. But you know we didn't let that diminish our friendship and everything. And so I was I was coaching. So at MP where my shooting was, that's where I graduated from that high school. That's where I met my wife. She graduated from that school. Um, and so I have a lot of history with this high school. The staff, some of the staff were still there. Well. I played basketball there. So the head coach at the time was a year younger than me when I was in high school. He was younger than me uh, by a year. And I remember just thinking, you know what? This son of a bitch is playing over me. He's only a junior. I'm a senior. I'm, I'm way, you know, I thought I was, I thought I was a Michael Jordan back in high school, which I look back now. Yeah, he was way better than I was. Um, and he deserved to play. But you know what? My ego back then didn't allow that. And so I volunteered for my six years. I coached the basketball team with, with him because I said, hey, can I volunteer my time? Well, this had been going on and going on, and we were on a retreat with the team, and I remember I got a phone call from one of the guys at work, and I can't remember what it was about, but it was something so stupid, and it was about something like, well, you did this wrong, Chris, and we need to whatever, and it was another thing that boiled over on me, and I just said, I can't deal with this anymore because everything was going on, and so I made a phone call, and I said, I need to get help right now, or I'm not going to be here tomorrow. And luckily we had a friend who on our department who went to this place, Deer Hollow, prior to all of us. Um, and so I called my sergeant and luckily he, he was a very, he was an awesome guy. And so he made a phone call, called him and he gave me a call and he says, all right, Chris, well, I'll get you on. A, if you want to go, I'll get you on a plane on Friday. This was Thursday. And I'm like, well, we don't get back till tomorrow. I need to go. If I do this one, I'm, give me some time. Give me a week or two because, you know, I, I can't just up and leave. And in about, Two minutes later, when I hung up the phone, I know me, I'm a procrastinator, big time. And I told myself, Chris, if you don't do this now, you're not going to do it because I, I'm good at pushing stuff off. And I called him back and I said, 
I can be ready Sunday night or Monday morning. Let me just get home and, and gather myself, talk to my wife, my kids. He had me on a plane Monday morning to go to, to Utah. Well, that Saturday or Sunday, I sent Woody a text. Didn't want to call him and said, hey, dude, sorry. I'm not going to have a phone for about 30 days or so. I'm going to be out of town, uh, but I'll get a hold of you when I get back. And so, so Woody, what, what, what do you like? I mean, since you guys are like bros and buddies and, and work partners, were you like, what WTF? What the, What's going on? Yeah. Uh, no, I was like this has to be something like serious because okay. uh, I, well, I, I knew him so well. I was like, okay, what the, what the F is going on here? But I mean, let's be real. This is weird. Uh, but I, I had this intuition. I kind of knew in a way because we, we were, we were, we'd done everything else we could think of to try to help our PTSD and what was going on inside. Like, <laughs> I'm not gonna lie to you. Like we, we, uh, we would hang out together and party and just sit and talk and, and you drink and, you know, this, that, and the other. And our mentality was completely off. It was completely uh, wrong. You know, we, 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 weren't, we weren't being champions like we were meant to be. We weren't really being leaders that we, that we could have been at the time. So I was a little surprised, but I was also like, I was scheduled to go to treatment, but I also had a little secret that I wasn't telling him either until I was actually going. So I was like, in my mind, I was like, did this this SOB beat me to treatment? Like, that was a thought. And, and so go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah, that's what was going on in my mind. And I was right. And, and it was, cause he, he sent me these texts, you know, he's trying to dick, you know, he's a detective, very good detective. What do you mean? You know, uh, you know, whatever. And I said, okay, dude, I, I said, I'm embarrassed to say this. I said, but I'm going to Deer Hollow. And I think as soon as I said that he, he did, he goes, you son of a bitch. I was scheduled to go there and, and, and whatever. And, and so, and it was, it was, it was, it's a, we look back now and it's, it's funny. It's a funny story. It's a great story. We both, we both laugh about it all the time. And once I got there and started getting help, you know, is when, uh, I got a, I got a call or something. I can't remember what it was, but when I was in the treatment place and, uh, they're like, well, uh, your buddy Woody, you know, wants to come into to treatment and we don't want to let him or whatever. And I go, what do you mean you want to let him? Oh, let him come in here. Cause they were worried because we knew each other so well that we wouldn't open up in front of everybody. Well, I'll tell you this. So I was in my, I was into my fourth week, my last week. And they, they, they pulled me out of, out of class. And I'm sitting there going, well, at a, at a, at a session, I'm like, what the hell did I do wrong? Why am I getting, you know, <laughs> I felt like I was in high school. Why am I getting pulled out of the classroom? And they said, Hey, so, uh, Woody really needs to come in this week. Um, and he needs, he needs to get his help too. We just want to make sure that, that that's okay with you. And I went, well, I told you guys when I first got here, he could have came day one. And, and they said, well, we want to make sure because we didn't know what would happen. Well, we proved it because he came in. My last week was his first week and overlapped. And that first week when you're in there, you have to go through this timetable from zero years old until now. And every five years it has to be broken up. And whatever trauma you thought you had, you had to write it down and relive it. And it, it's, it's, probably one of the hardest things that I've had to do so far. And I was up there and they said, well, well, Chris, will you be up? So I went up and I was the one writing on the board, everything that he would say and all of his traumas and everything that he, he was saying it. And he gets about halfway through and uh, he starts moving on. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, hold on, Woody. What, what about this? What about this? You know, because we knew each other so What well. about this incident? And you told me, you, he's, he's calling me out. And, you know, I wasn't trying to lie or hide anything. It just... When your brain seemed like it's a problem at the time. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, forget about it. What are you doing here? You know, like, what do you, I thought, Hey, I thought you had my back. And he's like, Oh, don't forget about this trauma that you told me about. And he's I'm worse than a wife, Woody. He's worse <laughs> than a wife. <laughs> oh, well, oh no. A hundred percent. You know, wow. and, and uh, he's like, oh, well, I'm thankful he did, you know, but I think uh, looking at that moment, you know, uh, I was so nervous. And, and when your brain is over firing and you're reliving all this trauma, your brain is only, only going to let you remember certain things. That's just the way your brain works. Thankfully, the uh, psychologist that was there, uh, my, uh, you get uh, assigned a personal psychologist. She could tell I was trying to be transparent and vulnerable and open. I wasn't trying to skirt the system or do anything shady. She, she could see I was struggling, but oh, Chris, oh yeah, don't forget about this event. Remember, you told me about this one. And we're in front of other people. Now I'm Chris is more of an open book. I'm private. I don't want to open up and be transparent and vulnerable in front of you. I want to um, 
you know, my, my old way, my, uh, my old self used to be, I want to give you whatever image or perception I feel like you deserve at this moment in time. Right. Until we start becoming closer. I'm not going to open up until, well, I'm in front of all these people, <laughs> these other people who are there for treatment. What is there? 12 not, people? Not even law, not all, only like a couple law enforcement, maybe a firefighter, just normal folks too. So, yeah. And so, uh, you know, you want me to be open and vulnerable from all these people. It's a, it was a tough task. I'm grateful that I did it because now, now it's not a big deal. Now we can have these real conversations with you, Travis, and be open and transparent and vulnerable and help other people because of that. Well, certainly the point of this is certainly the point of this. And, and, and I hope, you know, other veterans, law enforcement, first responders that watch the show, you know, can do that. And, and before we go into Brothers in Healing, what you all formed, kind of take me through what was it like to finally work through and unburden yourself of all this weight you were carrying all that time? Well, you know, one of the things that Chris and I don't do is sugarcoat. And um, I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and lie to you and tell you it was great. I'll give you this word picture uh, so that we're being transparent here. For me, it was like going over to a hornet's nest, grabbing the beehive, shaking it, and all these bees are coming out. Now, all this trauma that I've dealt with my entire life, and they're all stinging me. And now I got I to gotta take and deal with each bee individually. And it takes work. And it's worth it. One hundred percent. It was worth all the everything. Oh yeah. What do you think, Chris? Yeah, it, you know, I, I, I'm not gonna lie. I, I really do believe it. It, I, I believe it saved my marriage for one thing. Um, I was close to probably not being there. I was being risky, doing stupid stuff. Uh, I was ignoring family. I was ignoring friends. I wasn't talking to anybody. Um, I wouldn't return calls. I would drink myself to sleep. Um, so to finally get to get through that and, and get through the treatment and and start to learn and it's not just you, you know you finish your 30 35 days you're like oh god yes I'm healed I'm done no that, those that that month or so what that did is it gave us tools mm -hmm. on how to continue to help things because when you go back into the workforce when you go back on the field when you go back into life when you go back into your marriage when you go back to kids you're still dealing with those same things those same issues that are happening it's just now we have this these tools on, okay, I can, let me take care of this. This I'm going to take care of this. Now I learned how to deal with it in, in a, in a positive way instead of a, what I thought was a great way, uh, some ways, but they, they, they weren't so great. Um, so it, it really taught us how to live life again mm -hmm. and, and deal with these things that are happening. Cause there things happened after that. I mean, we still went to calls. We still went to things that happened. Um, that that made me you know made me question life even after i went through treatment you know um, i had a couple of things that happened but it, it it opens your eyes and it gives you the tools to to live again i think is the best way to put it 100 percent. look you're either in a storm coming out of one or heading towards one nobody is immune from that what treatment does is it gives you the tools to deal with that yeah. <laughs> period so out of all this you go through this we're going to call it together you know plus or you know the Marine, he's like, okay, they did it together. But you, you, do, it, you do it together and you come yeah. out of this and you, you go back to life and you start living again. When did the seeds start getting planted in your minds that, you know what, we can take our experience and build this brother, Brothers in Healing organization to take this further? Go ahead. I remember, I remember the exact, probably almost the exact day. So not long after my school shooting, I was asked, you know, by um, the SRO conferences, hey, would you come and speak about you're shooting and i'm i'm like go eat shit no i'm not going to i'm not going to sit and talk about you know ch children who died and, and the things that i went through because that was such a personal thing you know and, and i appreciate what he's saying i i felt like i was an open book a lot but when you get something like that right there i'm like there's no way that i'm going to do something that's going to exploit in my mind talking about it exploited these these children's lives and their families and everything like that and i was like there's no way i'm going to do that um but I don't remember, I, I was talked into it and I said, you know what? Okay, I'll talk about my events and, and explain what I went through and what I was feeling, all that kind of stuff. And luckily Woody was there with our, with our sergeant at the first time I ever did it. And I remember when I got done, he came up and uh, him and the sergeant were like, man, no way, we could, I couldn't have done that. How, how'd you get up there and do that? And I remember just going, I don't know. Um, I mean, it was hard. It took me probably about an hour and a half to, to talk for 45 minutes because, you know, crying and, and stopping. And then people came up to me and started saying, thank you so much for this. You know, I really appreciate that. 
And I think that's what gave me life. And then we were on a call. Well, so, and this is how it happened. So during the summer times, I got, I got us back on bike patrols and I loved riding, riding pedal bikes and, and in, in my shorts and being out in the sun and working. Oh, what he does. And he likes having his AR-15 right next to him. Um, and, and air uh, conditioning. I mean, come on. Yeah, air conditioning. Hello. <laughs> yeah. So here we are. We're, we're on a, we're on a, we just cleared a call south end of town where it's not the best part of town. And I'm on the bike and he pulls up his car and we get done. And we're standing in the middle of the road, like second street and Cedar Avenue, I think it was, or, mm-hmm. or beach. And we're sitting there talking and Woody's like, dude, we've got to do something. We've got to come up what we can do and, and, and try to help people. And uh, I was like, you're right, man. What are we going to do? And I don't remember if it was that day. It was that day. That day, he's like, what about Brothers in Healing? And I'm like, that's genius. Excuse me. And so from that day, we said, well, what do we do? And, you know, oh. I'm going to let Woody explain this part because he does it good, how it kind of formed everything. Well, <laughs> me walking up to Chris, you know, he's on his bike, you know, and I'm like, really? I mean, you know, when someone needs a backing unit, do you want to wait for a, a, a bicycle, <laughs> an officer on a bike to get there? Let's be real. So I was like, screw you. I was you. in really good shape. So, I got this. So, he did. I'll give him credit. So you do the air conditioning with the AR. It's a win-win. You stay in your car. Come on, man. You know, and then, uh, so anyway, but uh, the catalyst for me was, uh, I kind of mentioned I lost a good friend of mine named Matt, and he worked for the city of Everett. And I remember he was the one who taught me how to be undercover narcs. You know, I was 22 and I, I bought meth heroin and cocaine for the first time for the purpose of serving a narcotics related search warrant and trying to put an end to this drug house. Right. And he became a mentor to me and he, he had such a great sense of humor. He'd walk in the room, just light up the room. And he was always funny. And this whole thing, I had no clue he was hurting. So when he suck started his own duty weapon, it was a shock to me. I just couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe he was hurting that bad. And uh, we went to this training It's mandatory training. I know you got this kind of crap in the military. They force you to go to this training. You don't want to be there in the first place. You've already been there a couple of years already. And the program was called Target Zero. And the goal was to reduce officer uh, in the line of duty deaths uh, by z- to, the, to zero for a full year. That's their goal. Well, that sounds great. Well, I, I sit through this entire training and not one time did they ever even talk about the number one way that we're losing our first responders by suicide. So if you really want to stop officer-related su- officer deaths, you have to talk about the number one way we're killing ourselves, right? By our own weapon? Nope, no mention of that. Well, I, be, I was pissed. I told Chris, we're not talking about this. We're not dealing with this like we should. We got to do something about it. I don't want to see another officer take their own life. Chris and I have both been hurting. We, yes, we've had those thoughts. Yes, we thought about ending our lives. I was raised religiously. Why would I want to stay on this earth? Heaven is paved with streets of gold, right? Well, why would I want to stay down here and hurt and suffer when I could go to the next level, where I can go to heaven, so to speak? Uh, so that was the mindset. And I, I thought, wait a minute, we're, we're here for a reason, a purpose, although I don't quite know exactly what that is. Uh, I do know what our purpose is, and it was very clear to me, we have to make a change, we have to make a difference, we have to be transparent, we have to put ourselves out there, be open and vulnerable so other people can see, hey, these guys were hurting too, these guys were warriors, they didn't want to admit they had a problem, they tried to fix it themselves too, it didn't work, and I thought, what a better way, we can sit here and bitch or we could do something, and that's how I came up to him on that call, and I said, we just got to do something, I was pissed about the training, you know, it was a waste of time, they told us, slow down, before you go through intersections, yeah, okay, thanks. Make sure your red and blue lights are on, okay, yeah, thanks. Make sure you wear your seatbelt, yeah, okay, thanks. 360 awareness, yeah, okay, thanks. You ever, you ever been on night shift before? Try 360 awareness, you can't even see, you can't see 50 yards behind you in the dark, you know? It's like, okay, yeah, thanks, but let's talk about some real relevant raw, uh, you know, facts and data that's going on. We're just, we're, we're killing ourselves. We're our own worst enemy. So let, let's make a difference. That's how we got started. You want, you want to know what it was like? Picture Dumb and Dumber trying to start a nonprofit. Okay? <laughs> that is the honest truth. We didn't have a freaking clue. But when you feel passionate about something and you want to do it, you just find a way to get it done. And that's what we did. We filled out this paperwork, the IRS paperwork. It's a freaking nightmare. Uh, we got through it somehow, some way. We did it. We're a certified nonprofit. We've got our uh, federal, and we're a true nonprofit. We don't, we, don't take, we don't take a dime. We give it all back to help other people. And Just, that feels good. And speaking of helping other people, because that's what Brothers in Healing is about. Mm-hmm. 
tell me what it's like when you, you've done the work, you, you, you're working a full-time job, you, you're, you've got married kids, you know, other obligations, and you're doing this, and, and, the, and the nonprofit is its own baby to care and feed. But what's it like when you see Brothers in Healing get a win, for lack of a better term? That gave me goosebumps because, you know, because we always do that. We think about it. It's, uh, I mean, it's, it's amazing. You know, uh, we'll, we'll get a phone call. And so we, we first started out trying to raise funds by, by speaking because we, we do a two-hour presentation. And we, that's our passion is, is sharing our stories and, and about what we do. We we'll go through our whole life. We don't just talk about um, our, our careers. Like I talk about my son. He's been a heroin addict since 15 years old. He's 28 years old. He's been clean for the longest now. For six months um is on the other side of the united states finally he's been in jail more than he was out of jail at home um i had all of his friends living with us because their families were horrible and yet all these kids that live with us with horrible families are all great they great products of society now and my own son has struggled up until this last six months of his whole life i'm like what do we do wrong issues with things that happened to my daughter at college me and my wife just things like that so we we talk about our whole our life and how we got to where we are and you know it's it, it, we got tired of like begging people hey we please let us come speak because we this is what we want to do and we're passionate so now we had to start um, raising money but i will tell you this after we went through deer hollow we vetted them 100 so we know what they're about and we know them and once they give us a call they say hey guys we got this we got this military vet we got this police officer we got this firefighter we got this medic whatever it is um they can't come up with xyz well if the bank's open, then Woody and I are going to go down right then, and we're going to we're going to transfer the funds that they need. Um, and it's every time we go do that, and we especially go to the bank, like what's this for? And we tell them. And I know they look at us. I mean, we get judged. We're both we're tatted all out. We, we probably don't look like police officers, like you know what people really think. And they're probably like, oh, treatment. Oh, you guys are drug addicts. You guys are helping other addicts or whatever. But we don't say that. We're like, no, it's for PTSD and stuff. And and when we get when we get these phone calls back and there's, there's two that I remember one uh, there was one, it was a, uh, we got a phone call. It was a, well, he was, he was actually on the phone with a deputy's wife or somebody about it. And he, he sends me a text. Hey, we just got an email. Can you please call this person? And it was a trooper. And they said, Hey, we need, uh, we have all this, we have set up a bed, but we can't get him an airline ticket. And I said, okay, well, get the airline ticket right now. Go all the way to the end. When he gets time to pay, call me back and I'll, I'll do it. So they called me right back. I used our card. We paid for the airline ticket right there. They got him on the plane right then, went off. The other one that really kills us is 13. Uh, so we get, we get a 13-year-old. Uh, we, we found out from the owners um, at Deer Hollow, and they're like, they, they got this letter from a 13-year-old yeah. daughter. Go well, ahead. We're, well, we're at our fundraiser. We're up on stage, you know, and we're just like, we're not about the glory. We're about the work. You know, it's about, you know, I think true warriors, they don't, they're not really after the glory. True warriors are just kind of like, you just do the work and let, let it prosper, right? Let, let your little thing prosper. So we're sitting up there. We don't even want the recognition, but they called us up there. This is at Deer Hollow. It's a big golf fundraiser that we, that we do. And the owner of Deer Hollow was contacted by a deputy. I think he was a deputy, a deputy's 13-year-old daughter. And she wrote, she found, she tracked him down, found his address, the owner of Deer Hollow, and wrote him this letter, a thank you letter to Brothers in Healing. That, that had to be like. Oh my God, it just gets me now. Uh, but she basically said, I just want to say thank you to Brothers in Healing because I feel like I have my father back, my dad back. Uh, he started isolating like Chris and I did. We didn't want to go out and do things in public. We just kind of sat at home most of the time. I gave up all, all of my hobbies nearly, and that's exactly what this deputy had done. And she talked about how all she wanted to do was have a father-daughter date night and go to the movies, basically. And, and her dad, before treatment, didn't want to do that. And now, now he's back, and they're doing things together. And he's back being a father again. And I can't tell you how good that win just felt so good inside you know and we've gotten phone calls from others that we've we've helped for treatment and it, it does feel good it really does i'm humbled by it because mm -hmm. uh the reason why we're called brothers in healing is because our healing never stops we have to work constantly at it every day every day and when you fall you get right back up and you just work on it you and and that's what we do mm -hmm. and i think that is what feels good is the fact that every day is a challenge and you can you can win those days and uh, 
uh, and you can help other people. And I know Chris talked about when we got off the plane to Deer Hollow last month. Oh yeah, we got a we got a we got a, a thing from Deer Hollow. Hey, we have two two people that need treatment. They can't afford it. I think we wired six grand over uh, separately, just right off of that within forty five minutes. Found a bank, got the wire done. That feels good. That feels a bit good, but, but that's not us. That's from the donors. That's from people actually trusting us and believing in us that, um, you know, that we can make a difference and change. And um, we're, we're part of a team. And um, we're so grateful that we have these donors and Deer Hollow that gave us our lives back and people like you that are willing to get the message out. That's how we make change is we bond together. We stop being divided and separated. We come together and we say there is a problem. Let's work together to solve it. That's exactly what we're doing. And that's exactly what Brothers in Healing is about. It's a community event. It's not two dudes here. It's people behind the scenes that too many people to even get a recognition. Mm -hmm. I can't, I couldn't, I couldn't name all of our donors that we've had. We, we can name a few. We can name a few that have given us a, a, a substantial amount. And that money goes right into helping someone else out. And I got to tell you, it's money well spent because what, what's the world look like when our warriors are gone and they're killing themselves? And there's no more first responders and there's no more military at 22 a day, 22 times 365. I'm not good at math. You have to do the math on that one, but it's not good. And to, to know that, to know that if they just could have maybe known about a treatment facility place like Deer Hollow that specializes in PTSD, we don't get any kickbacks from Deer Hollow, by the way. So when we mention them, it's, it's out of grace and gratitude because they gave us our life back and confronted us on our, on our bullshit that we were doing. You know, they, they had the courage to do that. So, you know, as, as we, I, I don't want to say wind this down because, you know, this is a continual thing, but as we move this along, you know, I'm the veteran sitting there listening to this. I'm the, I'm the, you know, I've got several Marine Corps friends of mine who are in law enforcement who, you know, tell me what their, their day is like. And, and you know, like, the cost, the weight is, I keep hearing that word a lot, the weight's weighing them down. What do you want to leave them with about how uh, to move their life forward? Oh, oh yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you one thing that helped me is this saying alone, it's okay to not be okay. Society will tell you there's this, you know, nice little ribbon at the end and there's this happy ending and all this Disney movie and Tinkerbell's going to show up and sprinkle fairy dust on you. Nope. That's not how it is. Every day is going to be a struggle. Yes, the weight is going to feel heavy because it's supposed to be. And it's okay to not be okay. But there's people out there like Chris and I that when things get too heavy for you, you got some brothers. We'll carry your weight too. We'll get you on the right track. Seek treatment because there's this saying, what is it, Mark Merrill? Hold on, pain, hope. Hold on, pain ends. It really does. I can, I can, I can look you in the eye right now, Travis, and tell you 100%. Some of the best years in my life have been the last couple of years that I've lived right now on this earth. Don't leave this earth. It will get better. It, it feels heavy and, and, and it, it, because it is heavy and it's okay to not be okay. You don't have to be perfect. You're supposed to feel this weight, period. How can people, because I want to put the links and everything in the Oscar Mike radio show post, but how, people, how can people get connected to Brothers in Healing and what you all do? So it's easy. You can go to our website. It's brothersinhealing.com. Okay. Um, we are on Instagram at, at brothersinhealing. Um, we have a Facebook too, but we're, we're, trying, to, we're trying to get better with this because we're not really we're not good with social media. But the best way is through the website, the brothersinhealing.com. Uh, that has all of our information. It explains who we are, uh, that we're not frauds because, you, know, you know, when you go and you, you try to get funds and stuff to raise money. People always look at you like, okay, you just want money. We're like, well, no, here's why, you know, and, and we take our IRS paperwork in and says, look, this is what it is. Um, but that's the best way to get a hold of us. It has our event, our golf tournament event that's coming up um, in Utah. It has uh, who to contact there, how to raise money. We have a donation, uh, a button on there where people can donate to us. Um, and it, it all goes right in there. Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, that is the best way. Um, yeah. I even believe our phone, well, our, our phone numbers are on our, when we hand out our business cards, we, we give out our own cell phone numbers. Um, and I, I can't, I don't know if it's on there or not, but if yeah, you we, email us, we, we, we respond to everybody. Mm -hmm. Well, I'll have all that in the Oscar Mike Rio show post. I want to tell you gentlemen something, you know, I've done, you know, quite a few of these and, you know, this is one that's going to stick with me for a while, you know, how open and candid and, and raw this was is, is going to stay with me for a very, very 
long time. I want to thank you for that because it's, you know, there's a lot of fakes out there. A lot of people just trying to get social media likes or do a PR stunt. I didn't get that vibe at all. I just want to thank you for that. No, hundred percent. Appreciate that. No, Chris and I, we, we believe if there's money in our account from our nonprofit at the end of the year, we didn't help enough people period. That's what it's about. Giving back, giving back, helping other people. Well, I am with law enforcement officers, Chris and Woody. You can go to brothersandhealing.com and check them out. It's the second law enforcement show I've done here at Oscar Mike Radio. Maybe that's a sign that I can do some more because I think what they're doing applies to you know us in the military and as veterans. It's the same thing. You're hearing the same message, and you know I don't want them to. I don't want any of you all who serve us in the community to you know commit suicide the same way. I don't want any of my people in my community to commit suicide either. So I think if we can get together, we can do a lot of good. So just thanks again for coming on and, you know, go to their website, check them out. Appreciate it. Thank you again. Thank you so much. What an honor. Thank you. As we say in Oscar Mike Radio, we are mission in flight. They are brothers in healing. And like the missile, like the, the mission, it never ends. Gentlemen, I'll see you soon. And thank you.